With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you, it's time to party. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back for another edition of our show. I just instinctively waved at my computer (laughs) when you introduced me, which, of course, no one saw, not even you. (laughs) So that's how I'm doing. Happy Monday. Yeah, wow. Uh, Yeah, so Keaton and I don't actually ever record this over video. Um, One of the reasons why is, well, because I use an old school desktop that doesn't even have like a webcam. So, um, yeah, so that was funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've got a lot to talk about on today's show. Um, We're going to be talking about the potential Red Sox sale or partial sale. Um, We're going to be looking at some changes to the Red Sox coaching staff, and then we're going to be talking about uh, the qualifying offer and how that might affect the Red Sox before we get to a bunch of your listener questions. So let's get right to it. 
Um, John Henry and his group, the Fenway Sports Group, is in talks to sell uh, less than 25%, uh, or around 25% of the group um, to a company called Breadball Acquisition Corporation. Um, the Fenway Sports Group is currently valued at around $8 billion, um, so it would be some percentage of that $8 billion in sale. Um, but the big factor here is that it would make the Red Sox one of just three publicly traded sports franchises uh, in in North America, or at least uh, in the United States Major Leagues, um, along with the Packers and the Braves. This is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not entirely sure how it would affect the Red Sox uh, outside of... You know, giving the ownership group more money to not sign Mookie Betts. But, um, it, I mean, it'd be kind of neat to be like, hey, I own one whatever thousandth of uh, the Red Sox, however many, whatever the shares are worth. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, and in reading about this, one of the other weird things was um, reading about these uh, these blank check groups or these blank check companies, which I didn't really know anything about before reading, but apparently people that are successful investors will form these, these groups, um, that don't actually do anything. They're called blank check companies. And, uh, this particular blank check company is just intent on acquiring sports franchises. So that's why they're targeting this particular group. Um, and you will be able to invest in them, like Keaton said. But one of the weird things that Keaton and I were talking about before we got on this program uh, is that Billy Bean is actually part of this group. Um, and that could create a conflict of interest if they were to uh, actually acquire part of the Fenway Sports Group. Um, and Keaton informed me that he will leave the A's if this goes through. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think that's kind of the most shocking part of us all is like Billy Bean leaving baseball after, you know, really kind of kicking off the Moneyball analytics revolution here uh, and then bouncing. And he would be like, I don't know, somehow involved in their uh, European international soccer leg of this uh, group here. But it's just kind of weird to think of the A's without Billy Bean or baseball in general without Billy Bean. And <laughs> this this being the way that he leaves is just so weird. Yeah, it would be super weird. The other weird thing about this is that the Red Sox had been hot after Billy Bean from the time that the Fenway uh, Sports Group took over. Um, yeah. And <laughs> this would be quite an odd way uh, to get Billy Bean involved and not exactly the way that I think John Henry drew it up. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think that uh, he would have anything to do on the baseball side, uh, even if he did leave his, his post at the A's. It sounds like, like you said, he's going to be completely focused on overseas stuff uh, and not involved at all in the baseball side. Yeah, and the piece that I was reading from the Wall Street Journal, um, it said that he would not accept a position with the Red Sox. So... Um, he would have to leave the athletics because you kind of can't have a 
uh, percentage of another team in the league. That's a massive conflict of interests, and uh, he would just leave baseball altogether, which is just kind of wild. I assume he wouldn't forfeit his ownership stake in the A's, though, right? I don't know. That would be interesting. Uh, I sure, I, I am sure that if he does that, he will be compensated handsomely for his ownership stake. But he pretty much had. I think he might the sweetest deal ever. Uh, he's like one of the few guys that actually owns part of a team and still works for them. It's kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. So the whole point of this whole thing is, like Keaton said, uh, John Henry would have the ability to raise more capital if the company goes public, and presumably the idea behind that is to focus on more European soccer acquisitions, which apparently are very profitable. Um, The other weird wrinkle of this whole thing is that we might get more insight into the finances of Fenway Sports Group if uh, they do go public. You know, we will have some lens into their financials. However, um, Baseball Prospectus pointed out uh, in their article on this that you know, it would still be really hard to differentiate which incomes and losses were from baseball um, because we'd be looking at, you know, the, the racing group and we'd be looking at Liverpool and, and all the other assets that Fenway Sports Group holds. Yeah, it's a rather large portfolio. Like I saw initially some people were comparing this. So the valuation of Fenway Sports Group was a billion dollars and the Mets were just sold for like 2.5. So people were kind of blowing that out of proportion. But the $8 billion includes, like you said, Liverpool, who's one of the most successful soccer teams in the world, and uh, Roush Fenway Racing, which I have no idea if that's successful or not, because I'm not, uh, I don't follow racing. <laughs> so yeah. um, there's a lot more than just the Red Sox tied up into that eight billion. Yeah, there sure is. Um, I can't really speculate on, to, on as to how this will affect, um, you know, how how they spend in free agency or the decision making or anything like that. I will say that. It doesn't seem to have drastically affected the way that um, the Packers and the Atlanta Braves do business. The Braves weren't massive spenders before they went public, and it doesn't seem like they shy away from big deals either. But, you know, that I don't know that I've noticed a big difference. And then with the Packers, just anecdotally, all this is kind of anecdotally. I mean, they signed uh, Aaron Rodgers to a massive deal, and they've signed their important players when they need to. So... I don't really know that it's going to matter all that much from a day-to-day basis and that the fans will really notice too much. No. And particularly if, I mean, I guess maybe it depends on what the, the CBA looks like in a couple of years, but I mean, if they're still avid yeah. about avoiding the luxury tax threshold, then they wouldn't be spending any more or less than they would have otherwise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, certainly something that I wasn't expecting on, uh, you know, having to monitor this offseason. But um, if the Red Sox do go public, Keaton, are you going to try and buy some shares? Probably not. I might. I, I don't know. I don't, like, own any stock or anything right now other than, like, retirement account stuff. But I think I might have to if the Red Sox go public. Too much, Too enticing. I do get it. I get the lore. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, we want to get to the coaching staff. Um, so in addition to Ron Renneke being gone from the Red Sox, they have announced that his bench coach, Jerry Naren, in his beautiful handwriting, 
are now uh, not <laughs> going to be offered a contract for next year. Um, and Craig Bjornson, the bullpen coach, is also going to be gone next year. Um, do either of these moves surprise you at all? And are you at all disappointed to see either of these two gentlemen go? Um, I guess I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, Bloom inherited a lot of these guys. Um, and I know it's generally the manager that kind of like picks these positions. Um, so I just feel like it's a bit, just a bit of like a, a reset for the, the dugout. Um, I'm not so sure how, I mean, I don't know how the managerial search is going to pan out, but if it ends up being, um, I mean, these guys are familiar with Cora, but if it ends up being somebody else, uh, there's probably a good chance that they were not going to remain, uh, anyway, as the manager would pick their own pieces. So I'm not terribly surprised. But um, I think it does give a little bit of insight into where they might be leaning in their managerial search. Yeah, uh, so I, I'll, I'll cover off on that first part before I jump in. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm not surprised that both these guys are gone. I don't think either is a particularly uh, interesting loss or, you know, the bullpen sucked. Um, I'm not sure how much that had to do with Craig Bjornsson, but... <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, I, don't, I don't put that on him. <laughs> it's not like they had very many success stories. It was basically Phillips Valdez and then everybody else was terrible. Um, Jerry Naren, eh, that's, that's Renicky's guy. So whatever. But the most shocking thing about all this is basically when Cora left, uh, they retained almost all of the positions on the field, the other coaches for Renicky. And now Renicky's gone and they've only gotten rid of two guys which leads us to believe that potentially Alex Cora could be on his way back. And this could be announced when the world series is over because guys like, you know, Fabless and, and other coaches on the field are still there or, or being offered a position. And like you mentioned, Keaton, if they were bringing in a new manager, you would think that that manager would want to pick and choose all of these coaches on the field. So this is quite interesting. Yeah, that's kind of what where my mind went to when I saw this was the retaining all of them and wanting that continuity for bringing Cora back. Uh, wouldn't hate it, I suppose, but I I still think that uh, I, I think I'd be surprised if it happened as soon as the World Series was over because I still feel like Bloom wouldn't just hand it the job back to Cora because this is like this is his first go at hiring like an actual managerial search and hire uh, for the Red Sox don't really count, um, you know, installing Renicky when we were like, like a week away from spring training or so um, when all of the candidates have really gone at that point, I feel like they're going to interview more people, maybe a couple internal external. I just don't know if I expect it to happen immediately after the world series. So then what happens to all these guys (laughs) that they just offered, contracts to i mean is you know let's just say they end up hiring the bench coach for the the rays um matt cortaro like then all these people they just offered contracts to are potentially out of a job after being offered one a few weeks later or a few weeks before (laughs) sure (laughs) (laughs) like i mean are they they, i mean there's 
I mean, yeah, I guess the the new manager would be able to pick those couple spots at least. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to, I guess, play both sides of it. But, yeah, it kind of seems like Core is coming back. So, all right. What was your confidence level before learning this, that Core was going to be back on, like, let's, let's put a percentage on it. Uh, out of 100, what was your percentage that Cora was going to come back before hearing this? 50-50. 50-50. Okay. Yeah. I was pretty much 50-52. If, if anything, I was like 55-45, but I was pretty much 50-50. How do you feel now that you know that all these guys are being offered contracts? 75. 75%. All right. I was thinking in my head 80-20, so that pretty much tracks with us being at the exact same spot we were in last yeah. week, plus, you know, a, a healthy percentage. Um, yeah, it, I mean, if Cora comes back, though, it's very interesting, not only because he had success here, we think he's a good manager, he knows this group really well, Um but this does like seem like that it might be some sort of a sweetheart deal that was was and is being honored by John Henry and the guys at the top rather than actually chosen by Bloom. Yeah. A little bit. Which is surprising. And so if you're Bloom, Keaton, like what do you think of that? Like is do you think that that is something that they told Bloom when he was hired in the first place like hey listen you know we're hiring you at the very end we're going to use Ron Renneke for this year um, and then we have this sweetheart deal of things blow over with with Cora that we're going to bring him back like was that do you think that was conditional and I know I'm asking you to speculate a lot but I'm trying to wrap my head around how a guy in charge of the Red Sox is going to go two years in a row potentially without actually choosing his manager Yeah, uh, I guess that would just be a reflection of the front office and how they've handled things in the past. They tend to overcorrect, which I guess this would actually kind of fall in line with that. And they were hands off. With the ownership group, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And they, I mean, they tend to overcorrect and they were hands off with Dombrowski and were frustrated with how that ended. Uh, And now it's kind of swung to them being maybe more hands on with Bloom, which I imagine he'd have to be okay with um, to an extent. But, I mean, Bloom still gets to pick the players and uh, work with the team that's, like, actually field the team. So I I wonder, I mean, because Cora, we feel, is a good manager, a nice guy. Like, if they were trying to install, I don't know, bring John Farrell back, maybe Bloom would oppose that. But Cora is a nice guy. Maybe they have a relationship. Maybe he's like, you know, not really, doesn't really feel like it's ownership pressing. Then maybe he's all right with it. But I mean, the bigger day to day of what's going on with the team is still up to Bloom. So probably seems fine with that. But yeah, I mean, it is a lot of speculation. I don't know if I'm willing to, to go that far, but if uh, that is the case, it wouldn't shock me because of how hands-on the 
the ownership group has been in the past with general managers and just their tendency to overcorrect. I guess it would fits the profile of something they would do. Yeah, I, I agree that they definitely have had that reactionary stance in the past when it's come to underperforming years when it comes to free agents and things like that. So yeah, maybe they are exercising a little bit more control. Um, one of the first things that I thought of when when seeing all this, though, is just that clock that is on every single uh, head of baseball operations, every single general manager or whatever you know, crazy title the team has given them, czar of baseball or whatever. <laughs> you know how these, these, like everybody's got a different title these days, but you know, the GM role, as I will call it. Yeah. Um, you know, how does this affect Bloom's job security though? Because if you are giving him, like you're right, he has the ability to still choose the players. But if you are not giving him like soup to nuts control over his coaching staff and his players, from the very beginning of him coming on into this role, I think you have to be more forgiving to him in the long term in terms of results. You know, if he is not getting results over the next couple years with Cora as his manager, Bloom can legitimately say, hey, you guys never let me choose my manager. Um, And I think that that has to kind of factor into this calculus when you're deciding whether or not this is the right guy to execute a plan for your baseball team to get them to a competitive level. Like how much does that matter to you in your calculus for Bloom keeping his job in say like two or three years? Oh, a lot for sure. I mean, if he was never really given the chance to do the job and then loses it, I mean, that's not very fair. (laughs) So I think that definitely has to come into the, the conversation and i wonder if that was if this what we're speculating actually happened and they were like hey we're we're gonna bring cora back and he's gonna be your manager that had to be part of it like give it a couple years if it's not working the way you want it or we're not seeing the results we think we'll get then you can kind of break and hire your own guy um bloom's specialty though has been with the players and farm system and player evaluation and all that. So I imagine that in these two years, you know, the Red Sox would still take step forward on steps forward under his leadership. So, I mean, I still think they'll be, you know, successful and it won't Cause I mean, something that can seriously like fracture relationships between the managers and front offices and ownerships. So if they're not all aligned on, this is how we, we want to kind of proceed. Then I imagine it wouldn't, be happening yeah i i I agree um it's it's going to be really interesting to monitor how it all shakes out because the implications passed just this year and and i have to think that like you said keaton that bloom went into this with his eyes wide open to the possibilities of this situation i have a hard time believing that this is kind of the first time that he's hearing about ownership's preferences for all these different things yeah this also goes back to in the press conference when they announced that Cora, whether they had agreed to part ways. I don't remember who the reporter was that asked it now, so apologies for that. But one of them asked um, Sam Kennedy, John Henry, and company if they thought that Cora um, should be given a chance to manage again, and like none of them really had an answer for it. Yeah. Uh, and that may have been because they already knew that he was coming back. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been. It would have explained the 
the non-answer, yeah. non-committal answer from a guy in Sam Kennedy who usually likes to say a lot of words. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on from this coaching situation, which we will be monitoring closely and look for a potential uh, emergency podcast if that gets uh, you know, saddled up anytime soon. Um, but the qualifying offer is something that is going to drastically affect the uh, Red Sox decision-making uh, or has the potential to drastically affect their decision-making on free agents this upcoming year. Um, the qualifying offer is set at $18.9 million. It's up $1.1 million from last year. Um, the Red Sox don't have anybody reaching free agency that they are likely to give that qualifying offer to. Um, however, it may impact the guys that they target. Um, so just off the top uh, of, of this discussion, I want to kind of name a few of the guys that will for sure uh, not be getting a qualifying offer. Uh, Nelson Cruz, Justin Turner, and Marcel Ozuna uh, will not be getting a qualifying offer because they've already received one before, and you, you are only allowed to receive one uh, qualifying offer uh, in your career. Um, if a player does get a qualifying offer, they have 10 days to either accept or reject the offer. Uh, if they reject it, they will reach free agency, but the team that signs them will be penalized with the loss of a draft pick uh, if they do sign said player. Uh, free agents who are very likely uh, to be signed to a qualifying offer or not signed but be given one, uh, JT Realmuto, the top catcher on the market, uh, George Springer, um, Astros outfielder, uh, DJ LeMahieu, the Yankees second baseman, and then Trevor Bauer, um, who is the ace of the Cincinnati Reds, have all uh, basically, you know, it, it would be shocking if they weren't given a qualifying offer based on what they are expected to have for a market out there. Um, and then there's a bunch of guys who are sort of on the bubble uh, for those. Marcus Simeon, Kevin Gosman, um, Marcus Stroman, uh, Andrelton Simmons, Didi Gregorius. Um, after kind of learning what this qualifying offer is going to be, Keaton, um, does this change anything about how you think the Red Sox will approach uh, the market? Because... The Red Sox, if they sign one of these qualifying offer free agents, will lose a pick uh, between the 40th and 45th pick in the draft, which for them would be substantial considering their draft position this year. And the fact that that'll be between 1.6 and 1.9 million of their draft pool plus 500K in international slot money. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and yeah, I mean, I think it affects it for the reasons you just outlined. Um, I think that they wouldn't go near any player that does have an offer because they don't want to lose that pick. pick. Um, especially given that the draft this year was only five rounds. Um, and I mean, you were they were able to sign a bunch of folks afterwards, but uh, having that draft position and that draft capital for a team who is still focused on rebuilding the farm, um, I think that would be a priority over spending... 18 million bucks. And I mean, some of these guys like Gaussman and Stroman, that's a massive, massive uh, pay raise from where the, what they're making now. Uh, so if those were guys that they were focusing on as like potential uh, rotation pieces uh, and they get a qualifying offer, then they're, I would expect them to be immediately crossed off the list. Um, just for how they're valuing picks in the farm and i mean 40th pick is still a pretty decent pick it's not like it's a you know something in the 200s or you know later rounds that's still you know almost a first round pick i think actually is that the, like that falls within the first uh it's a first, first round supplemental round? it would be yeah so it would be between the first and the second round i'm trying to bring it up right now as you're talking about it uh to see exactly where the Red Sox picked uh, in the last couple of years. So um, let's see, twenty. Uh, we know 2020, and it was a weird draft. So um, let's just see. So that Blaze Jordan was 89th overall, So the, and Nick York was 17th. Uh, in 2019, uh, Cameron Cannon was their highest pick at 43. So they'd essentially be losing – that type of a spot. Um, in 2018, uh, Casas was 26. Nick Decker was 64. So they'd be losing a pick better than Nick Decker's spot. 2017, uh, Hauk was 24th. Cole Brandon was 63rd. Um, so we're talking about a player that is going to be extremely substantial. In, in fact, you know, uh, probably one of the better players that they've picked in the last five years in terms of where everybody's valuing that player. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. we both expect 2021, uh, at least I think I'm speaking for you, uh, to not necessarily be a contending year, but a year where they can shape up uh, around the fringes of the roster for a contention in 2022. And this rotation is still very much experimental. Uh, I mean, we know Evaldi will be there, hopefully healthy Erod. So yeah, we'll come back at some point. Um, Martin Perez, promising. Um, Hauk is still, I mean, he's only had a couple starts, but it looks good. And then uh, Pavetta, again, who's kind of experimental. So, I mean, the majority of this rotation is still figuring out what you have and if you can move forward with them. And then the bullpen, <laughs> I mean, the bullpen is what it is. We're, I don't really need to spend time on that. So, um I think they would value that pick and that prospect over um, whoever they would end up signing in that position. So if any of these guys are targets and they get a qualifying offer, I wouldn't really expect the Red Sox to be mentioned with them. Yeah, I agree. Um, And 
we we got a question about this, so I think we'll just get to this question right now. Uh, Damien uh, asks us, uh, he says, any way you can see them burning their second round pick, probably around 40, uh, to sign Bauer, or will they stay out of the free agent market for upper tier names to retain that draft capital? Yeah, as Keaton said, I mean, I, I agree with you, Keaton, and you're definitely not, not uh, you know, just assuming that I agree with you. I, I definitely do <laughs> agree with you uh, on all the points you made about this being a very transitional year for them. Uh, I can't see a way in which they make sense for uh, giving up, um, especially for one of those top four guys who are locks for that qualifying offer. If Gosman or Stroman does not get the qualifying offer, yeah, I can definitely see them being in play for one of those two guys. Uh, I don't see Nelson Cruz or Justin Turner moving from their current teams at their current ages and because both of their current teams really need them next year, as yep. there's no clear guy to replace Cruz or Turner in those spots for their respective playoff teams. But Marcelo Zuna was my pick uh about a month ago now when Matt and I talked to be the Red Sox biggest signing. So I kind of want to talk about that possibility. We haven't really gotten your opinion on whether Ozuna would be a good potential fit for a Red Sox outfield that is definitely going to need somebody out there next year. Um, They will have Benintendi, they will have Verdugo, but presumably Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, may leave. Ozuna is not the best fielder, but what do you think about a potential Ozuna big splash signing? That makes sense to me. And in particular, as you pointed out, he can't get a qualifying offer, so that makes him more interesting to the Red Sox. Uh, certainly seems like he enjoys hitting in Fenway Park. So that's a plus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I rewatched that game recently where he had the three taters. Uh, that was ridiculous. That dude is so yeah. good. Yeah. Very good. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would like that as a signing, um, like a four-year deal with him. I'd love that. Yeah, and, and I, I think that there has been a lot of talk about how there could be some redundancy with him and J.D. Martinez on the roster. But Marcelo Zuna is a better outfielder than J.D. Martinez. And also... You know, I, I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you either moved Verdugo or Benintendi. So I, I, I would probably move Ozuna to left field, move uh, Benintendi to center, and keep Verdugo in right field because of Verdugo's arm uh, in his range. And I know that Benintendi is not the ideal center fielder for for any place um, because he's not a tremendously gifted fielder, but I feel like he could play that uh, well enough to not be embarrassing. But the other thing is like there, I still feel there's real potential that they shop Benintendi uh, this upcoming year. And I don't really think that his value is drastically reduced by his 36 or whatever plate appearances this year. So um, I could see him being a change of scenery guy and them signing someone like Ozuna and then a defense first outfielder to come in and play center field. Do you think that would mean bringing Jackie Bradley Jr. back? Or do you think they would go elsewhere? I feel like they would go cheaper um, than Jackie Bradley because I think Jackie Bradley has worked himself into a two or three year deal from some team based on his defense and the fact that his bat was pretty damn good this year. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, but I also think that the Ozuna angle is really interesting because two things. J.D. Martinez, what if he looks completely cooked this upcoming year like he did this year? What if he doesn't get it back? Then all of a sudden he's somebody that you're probably shopping to kind of get him just off the roster. And then that does open up uh, a lot of time for Marcel Ozuna at DH. So I know that that's kind of a lot of money to have locked up there, but Ozuna I think is a guy that could work between DH and outfield uh, for the entire length of his deal with the Red Sox if he does sign here. Yeah, I think so too. Give him some flexibility there. Yeah, it's an interesting possibility. Um, All right. Um, any other thoughts on free agents? Do you want to kind of go through some of these qualifying offer potential guys and see if you think that they will get a qualifying offer? Sure. What do you think about Marcus Simeon? Had kind of a down year this year for the ace. Qualifying offer or no? I think he will get one. Okay. Kevin Gosman broke out in a big way for the Giants this year. I'm leaning no. I am also leaning no, only because he had sort of an elbow thing at the end of the year, which was just a little bit scary, even though he pitched through it. So not sure about that. The other thing with Gosman is I think it would probably be pulling teeth to try and get him to come back into the AL East at this point. (laughs) Yeah, you might be right. (laughs) Uh, Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I think he will. Interesting. I'm a strong no one Marcus Stroman, only because he didn't pitch this year. Um, And I think that that is a little scary to some teams. Could be. I I guess I was just thinking in relation to the Mets Mm. and their pitching rotation. I mean, so he was hurt in the beginning, then got healthy, and then just decided to opt out uh, for the, the COVID yada yada. But... Um, that Mets team is not far off with healthy pitching. I mean, I feel like we've been saying that for like a decade. <laughs> but yeah. um, he was good for them in 2019. So I feel like for the Mets, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him the offer. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Andrelton Simmons, who just uh, pieced out on the team with like, what was that, like a week to go in the year? He just didn't yeah. come back. Uh, I think no. I also think no. But this is one I wouldn't be shocked if I'm wrong on. No, I don't think it would either. Just 18 million seems like a lot for a defensive first shortstop. Yeah. Him being on the West Coast, though, has certainly robbed us of uh, a lot of his web gems. I feel like we talked sure. about Andrelton a lot more um, like four years ago than we do now. True. Didi Gregorius. Yeah, I think he he would. I'm going to say no, only because of the reduced effectiveness of his glove. I think he might have to move off shortstop at some point soon. Maybe, yeah. All right. Uh, draft order for the Red Sox is official. Um, word finally came down from the league. It is exactly what we've been telling you it's going to be. For the last month or so, the Red Sox will pick fourth overall as expected. 
Uh, any thoughts, comments, concerns on that, Keaton? Jack Leiter. All right, Jackie boy. All right, time to get to some listener questions here. Uh, Damien has a second question for us. He says, what's the best case scenario opening day rotation if no one big is signed? Eduardo Rodriguez, Martin Perez, Nathan Eovaldi, Chris Mazza, and Tanner Houck, or do you see it going another way? What say you, Keaton? Pavetta instead of Mazza, and yeah, that's your five. Yeah, I agree, Pavetta instead of Mazza. I could see a scenario uh, where... It is Pavetta and Maza, and they start Hauk at AAA um, if they want to preserve him as sort of the sixth man up. Um, but, yeah, I think that you nailed it with your first one. Our next question comes from uh, B.W. Reed at B.W. Reed, and he says, For the first time in 25 years, I literally couldn't bring myself to watch a single game this year. Um, what are the chances this team will meaningfully improve and be at least watchable again? Well, I think the team is watchable. I mean, Washington Devers have fun out there. Bogarts be nasty over Dugo, uh, being a lot better defensively than we thought and like leading the majors and outfield assists. Um, I don't know if he did, but it felt like he did. Uh, there's definitely reasons to watch, um, I understand if you don't want to watch from like the sixth, seventh inning on because you know what that bullpen's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's definitely reasons to watch the team. Let me uh, rephrase this question a little bit. Do you think that this will be a 500 team next year? Um, yeah, on the nose. On the nose, yeah. I'm like, I think they'll be 500 or a couple games above 500. I don't think they'll be a below 500 team. I guess I wouldn't be. I would be leaning more towards under than I would be over. Okay. So if if like this scenario plays out and we're going into the season with the same pitching staff that we had this year, which I mean, I guess we wouldn't because we. I guess we're assuming that Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back, Chris Sale is coming back at some point. So I mean, I guess that that definitely makes a difference. But I, yeah, I don't know. it sounds like we're probably thinking only like three or four wins apart from one another. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Considering I was off-season optimism guy about the Red Sox this year, that went well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you got Martin Perez, right? I did. (laughs) Uh, Trevor Latham has our next question. He says, am I the only one that unfortunately sees the PD situation as the elephant in the room? And how does management deal with it in a way that satisfies most? He simply can't be on the 40-man roster again this offseason. Sorry. Um, And Trevor is referring to a 40-man roster crunch that could be presenting itself. The Red Sox just have uh, too many guys that they kind of need to keep along. They have at least six guys who need to be Rule 5 protected. And they have a myriad of other players that they need to potentially get on and move off of this 40-man roster. Uh, so they, they really can't continue to have PD uh, clogging up a roster spot here. But um, And I, I think they will get rid of them off of the 40-man this season, but how do you think they're going to do it in a way that is, uh, you know, deferential to the player that PD was and doesn't create any hard feelings? Because it does seem like they've been very cognizant of that throughout this entire time. 
I think he retires. So yeah, you think that that's that announcement's going to be coming this this off season? Yeah. And what I mean, do they do about pretty... the money though? They've they've got to figure out some like if he agrees to retire, there's got to be like some sweetheart payout, right? Of that remaining twelve million or whatever. Um, I guess maybe. I, I feel, I feel like if so. he retires, it's his choice, and that's just kind of the way that I feel like it's leaning. Like what? I don't really see the. What's the point in him coming back to a team that's not going to contend? Is it just to to it go just, out on the field versus off? Yeah, I mean the the whole thing I think comes down to his remaining twelve million bucks. Like he's that's the only reason he's been on the team is to keep collecting a check because he deserves his money. He was signed yeah. below market for years. Um, you know, even even with the amount of that deal that he played, it was still way worth it for the length of the contract. So, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that ownership doesn't offer him some sort of job within the organization that keeps him here and allows him to get the remainder of his money as he moves off of the 40-man roster. So that would just be a straight buyout? I think so. I think it's a buyout retirement in yeah, a position with the team. That would make sense, too. But I just don't think we're going to see him on the field again. No, I don't think so. I think that ship has completely sailed. Uh, any yep. hopes of seeing that are gone, and I think if if we were going to see that, it would have been this year, but given that there were no fans, there was just no way that was even going to be a thing. All right, Existential Judge Dread. What a good name. <laughs> Uh, which of the middle infielders will be DFA'd or non-tendered? Uh, also, is there a way to get Pedroia out of the luxury tax calculation next season? Um, I don't think there is a way to get Pedroia's money out of the luxury tax calculation, but that doesn't really matter because the Red Sox are going to be well below. But let's go through these guys, Keaton. Lynn, will he be DFA'd or not? Yeah. Chatham. No. Arreus. No. Arroyo. Um, no. And Peraza. Yes. I'm with you on Lynn and Peraza and on Arreus. I think he'll just be optioned because he can be now. Yeah, Arroyo, I think, is going to be with the club. And Chatham, I think, is going to be DFA'd. Ooh. This team seems to hate Chatham. Yeah, I guess they kind of do. He got no run, and it was like very confounding because it seemed like they every time that they were going to give Chatham some type of run, or it seemed like he was about to get something, they signed another guy. Yeah, I just I'd be surprised if they DFA'd him without giving him a chance. I suppose. But, yeah, I guess maybe they, they've got enough guys at the position they like more. I think I know what happened. So, Bloom asked uh, CJ Chatham to um, do a load of laundry for him. And Chatham mixed the lights in the darks. And Oof. really ruined several of Bloom's favorite polo shirts. And... 
that was just not not good for his stock. Maybe shrunk one of his big comfy sweaters. Oof. Nothing worse than that. No. Not at all. Spilling bleach on some of his stuff, too? Oof. No way. All right. The big man. Big man with a big question here. How can the Red Sox even go public? How would MLB even allow that? Can you imagine people on sports radio complaining about Red Sox shareholders being stingy with the budget? Uh, We already got into the first part of that. Uh, and the Braves are publicly traded by, I believe it's called Liberty Media Group. So uh, they do allow it. Um, but Keaton, I want to hear your commentary about how sports radio would handle this. Hopefully they would hang up on said callers. I guess I'm assuming it's callers that are uh, being grouchy. But. Uh, this whole thing is for a minority stake of 25%, plus they would be splitting shares with thousands of other people. So their ownership would be like one some thousandth of whatever happened, which essentially amounts to nothing. But there are definitely people uh, who will purchase shares and think that then they have some kind of voice with what happens with the team <laughs> uh, and call into sports radio and yell about, I am part owner of this team and the fact that they gave... Hundred and whatever million to Chris Sales joke. I never would have let that happen. I would have resigned Mookie Betts, and it would just be fucking terrible. Do you think we'll ever hear that was my money? Oh yeah, I mean we already <laughs> hear that now. Yeah. I mean people talking about like, I spend my money on tickets and buy whatever, whatever, and the team does yada yada. So I mean we hear that now without them being publicly traded and being able to own like a small piece of it. It would just be magnified. For some reason, you just gave that Red Sox fan like a. Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of did. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Cape and Hero 79 says, does the lack of a true minor league season affect our best prospects? Which group is more affected, pitchers or positional players? Um, I mean, sure. Definitely yeah. does. I mean, I think that was the point of the alternate site was to, for teams to, you know, actually kind of continue to work with their top prospects. But there's... There's only so many simulated games you can do without actually getting real game action. That definitely affects it. Um, I would think that affects pitchers more and how like routine oriented routine oriented they are, and um, you know, like going every however many days, throwing whatever many pitches. Um, the hitters, I mean, they were still facing live at bats which is helpful. So I would think that the pitchers would probably be more affected, but would have been better if we just had a full season for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's the pitchers that are more affected here. Um, uh, Specifically, my biggest concern is just workload concern for uh, 2021. Um, You know, how do you expect pitchers to make innings jumps next year um, if they didn't get to pitch a full season of competitive innings uh, like they Presumably would have if a minor league season was was happening. Uh, luckily, like Keaton mentioned, a lot of the top prospects, especially for the Red Sox, Tristan Casas, Jeter Downs, Sharon Duran, uh, guys like that, got plenty of time at the alternate training site. Um, so they should be fine. But you know, guys like Gilberto Jimenez or you know uh, Chris Murphy or Ryan Zephyrjan or, or other players like that that weren't there, um, I think they are affected by it. 
And and also just the ability to see them against competition that isn't on the team is just huge. So it sucks for minor leaguers, big time. But for, for some of them, though, I think that it actually did benefit. And uh, I believe they were talking about this on the Sox Prospects podcast about how with Tanner Houck specifically, he was able to get so much more individual coaching time with the coaches because of the nature of the environment. And that might have actually been the best thing for him in his development. So the guys that were there, the guys like Jaron Duran who made a big step or Tanner Houck who made a big step, it could have actually been really beneficial for those guys. Yeah, for sure. Gordon Constock has our next question. He says, why does at Red Sox stats need to break our collective hearts with realism and common sense? Keaton, uh, you are the only person at Over the Monster who is not blocked by Red Sox stats, I think. <laughs> uh, so uh, here, listeners, your mission is to find out from Red Sox stats why he is blocked to everybody at Over the Monster. I think myself, Matt, Brian... Uh, and like everybody else is blocked by him or her or whoever does that Twitter thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, and we would like to not be blocked and be able to see Red Sox stats tweets and comment on them. But apparently he hates our site. Now, I don't know if I should feel honored or left out. Yeah, I don't know either. He might, or he or she might just not have realized you are at the site yet and not given you your ceremonial blocking. So, <laughs> great. Uh, hopefully, you can avoid that. Uh, but seriously, I would love to know uh, what we all did to offend Red Sox stats. Cool. Well, this this particular one was about. Um, I mean. Since this morning when Rick Renteria was let go from the White Sox, a lot of speculation about Cora going to the White Sox. Well, Red Sox stats. Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess I kind of think Cora's coming here, so no hearts broken. DJ Lack has our last and final question of the night. And... Keaton, I feel like this one was made for you because I feel like you used to have kind of a prospect crush on this guy. Uh, not true if, uh, not sure if this is how you get your listener questions, but I had one. I was wondering what you thought about the Sox possibly bringing in Steven Souza Jr. He's a possible low risk, high reward with the connections to Bloom from his time in Tampa. Weren't you kind of a Souza guy for a while? No, not really. Um, I understand why you would think that I was, though. But why um, do I think that? Um, because he's a he's a beefy boy. That, that <laughs> he's not that beefy. Muscles. He's big, but, but he's not like beefy. Yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, apart from hitting thirty home runs, or I guess sixteen steals, that that's not so bad in twenty seventeen. But that was a long time ago. He was bad in twenty eighteen. He didn't play in twenty nineteen. He was bad in twenty twenty. Only played in eleven games for the Cubs. Um, I would be surprised if that's the route they went unless they brought him on to be like the fifth outfielder. But I think they have uh, guys already internally that they like. Um, what's his face? The guy that left the Cardinals, Munoz, Yara Munoz, uh, as the guy that could be like the fourth outfielder. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense unless something else happened with the roster and i mean it definitely wouldn't cost him anything at all to bring him in 
but at this point he'd be 32. I don't really know how good of an outfielder he still is, so I, I just don't really expect it. Yeah, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they brought him in to be a bench outfielder, um, especially because we don't think Duran's going to get the call right away. And if they decide to use Munoz as an infielder rather than an outfielder, I could kind of see it, but um, it's not one of the names that off the bat that I'm really expecting them to target. But um, yeah, he's an interesting player. I've always kind of liked Steven Souza Jr.'s offensive upside, and I think that Health has always been the biggest concern there, not ability with him. Uh, he was involved in that pretty big trade from the Nationals to the Rays. So, um, yeah, not a player without talent. All right, well, that wraps up our podcast. I do hope all of you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, please go on, rate and review us, uh, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Or just shoot us a message on Twitter to say something nice. Or uh, if you have something mean to say, uh, send it to the Green Magnus. At the Green Magnus. (laughs) Just kidding. That's our friend Patrick. Um, But uh, yeah, um, all the things that I have to say at the end of podcast. Now I'm sounding like Matt. Um, Follow us on Twitter. You can follow uh, Keaton at the Smoking Keats. You can follow me at at Jake. You can follow Shelly at Shelly V underscore 643. You can follow Matt at Matt R.Y. Collins. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. We will be with you every week. Some rotation of the four of us. We hope you're enjoying the show and we hope you have a great week. So thanks for joining us.